All right. Um, so Nick is Nick is on. All right, good. Um, so let's get started. Um, it's seven oh two. On this, and um, I have to use my home computer to listen to. Um, Julia, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's um, let's open the meeting and call the roll here. So, um, uh, welcome to the community preservation committee meeting. Um, um, it's our third meeting this month and um, third of four meetings. Um, and thank you for all the applicants for being here. Um, so let's, um, I'm Tom Callahan, the chair of the Community Preservation um, Committee. And I also am the representative on the committee from the Affordable Housing Trust. So why don't we go around, Pete? Uh, Pete Jackson, I'm an at-large member. Ted? I, uh, Ted Carroll, a park commissioner. Uh, Jenny? Uh, Jenny Russell, um, at large and uh, vice chair of the committee. Kathleen? Uh, Kathleen O'Donnell, um, at large member. And Cheryl? Cheryl Tagayas, planning board representative. All right, great. So we have a quorum and uh, we'll get um, right into the agenda here. Um, so just before we go to the presentations, um, um, I just want to start out just describing the process. We've got 20, I always forget the number, 23 applications, 21 applications in front of us um, for about $3 million. Um, we only have a little over a million to distribute. So um, that's one thing we're saying to every applicant up front, uh, be in mind that we cannot fully fund, we can't fund every project at the full amount that's requ requested. Um, uh, just the funds won't, don't, the math doesn't work. Um, but um, but we're, uh, this is the first of two rounds. This is the eligibility round to essentially uh, determine if a project is eligible um, and to help us understand the project better. Um, it's an opportunity for us to uh, deliberate as a committee to give any feedback that we feel might be appropriate to um, and strengthen an application in the second round. Um, we, this is, as I mentioned before, this is the third meeting of the month where we, we've seen, um, I think 11 or 12 of the applicants already. Um, and we will sort of, um, complete, um, the initial first round review tonight. Um, and then we will be meeting next week to, um, deliberate basically around all of the initial eligibility applicants. And after that, every applicant will hear back from us with some feedback. Um, if the project's not eligible, they'll hear back from us about that. Um, if it is eligible and invited to um, submit a full application for round two, um, that will um, that will happen in that communication at that time. So, um, um, so, um, I'll turn to my fellow committee members to see what about that process I might be forgetting or other other things that they might want to add. So I'll open the floor if I if I didn't describe that correctly or if I forgot something. <laughs> All right, that's the process. Um, 
All right, let's get right into it. We also are um, trying, and so far, two for two. I think we've been meaning uh, pretty much uh, keeping to the time frame. So uh, time table here. Um, we're asking applicants to make no more than a five-minute presentation, and then allows five minutes for questions from the um, uh, from the committee. Um, you can make a less than a five-minute presentation if you'd like, um, and. Uh, and we, we have a lot of applications this year and, and really this allows us to, to condense it into just three meetings. Uh, um, so uh, we appreciate your brevity. Um, all right, so I think Nick is up first for the Manning Park Pergola. Nick Milano. Um, good evening, everybody. Nicholas Milano, Town Administrator. Um, appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'll be here for this uh, project and then the next one as well. Um, so the Banning Park Pergular over on the deck in East Milton, I have, I'm just gonna show a couple of quick pictures here just to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about, which I'm sure you do, but here's a nice picture from the fall from our engineers of East Milton. Um, the Pergola, which has gone through an extensive design and feedback process is fully designed. Um, the issue is a question of getting the funding in place to um, purchase the equipment and install it. The renderings, which you may have seen before as um, the select board was providing comments back, um, are here. So a pergler at um, this end here. And then a second picture just showing um, a second rendering, a place to sit, a place for some shade, a place to gather, and a focal point for the deck. Um, as you know, we've we've been excited for some of our um, events that we've had over the past, um, I'd say, about nine months since it's been in position. We've had it. The chamber had a Halloween event. We had a Christmas event, concerts um, on the deck. We want to continue that process as we move forward to encourage use and activation of, of this um, great location. And the pergola is kind of the last piece of that process. Um, so big picture, we expect the total project to cost about $750,000. Uh, Representative Driscoll has secured a $100,000 earmark in the state budget for improvements um, at this location, which uh, would be inclusive of the pergola. Um, so we, we brought this project to the select board and the select board um, approved a request of $250,000 from CPC um, for this project. But, you know, in, in being fully uh, transparent about our funding position is of the $750,000 estimated budget, we have secured $100,000 and um, getting that gap even further narrowed down will be helpful as we try to identify other potential sources of monies um, if this project were to fully move forward. Um, so try to do a really quick high-level overview. Happy to take any questions if you have any um, at this time. Great. Thank you, Nicholas. Um, questions from the committee? Nick, Nick, you, you, Nick, you said it's been pur purchased already? No, I'm sorry. The design has been complete. What the remains design. would be the purchase and installation. And is that the design? I see like the trees in the background. Does that 750 include like the landscaping? 
but landscaping wouldn't be, um, there would be some minor changes to the site plan, but, um, it would be really the design is the, um, the actual equipment and the actual installation. So it's, it would be ready to go out to bid. It's at that level of completion, you know, just kind of dots and I's cross and T's. So it's, uh, shovel ready, as they say, uh, pending completion of, uh, budgeting, budgeting for it. Thank you. Jenny. Uh, Nick, I had a question about the funding. You, it seems like there's still quite a gap and curious as to what other um, options you have out there and what you're hopeful about. So, you know, we always try to pursue um, grant opportunities if they were to arrive outside, arise outside of um, CPC, obviously. Um, you know, it is a town park. It, the, another alternative would always be to go to, you know, go through the regular town budgeting process, whether it's capital money or um, otherwise to request um, the use of money to for this park. You know, I think as you folks are probably well aware that when it comes to our capital budget and other projects and our annual operating budget, we're typically trying to keep things running and, and expansion and, and new is usually a pretty big lift. Um, so, you know, that's always an option, but it's, it's hard to, to put this in front of replacing very old equipment, doing improvements to our facilities. So it's just kind of in that prioritization, um, a tough one for us. Um, Nick, um, I don't know if, and Mike, I'm glad you're here. I don't know if the town considers uh, naming opportunities. Um, it seems to me that this is such a high profile location and with the big uh, investment that's occurred there and the visibility of this facility and the potential uses for it, that it might be a great opportunity for private fundraising and particularly a naming opportunity um, you know, in a visible place. So I'm not sure if the town typically does that. I know we've got the uh, Baron, you know, Hugo uh, gazebo that's named. So um, maybe you could think of that and, you know, if that's a, even a possibility. Nick, did you want to respond to that or... No, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, so Pete, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I, you know, the, the the analogous thing that I can think of is uh, the Copeland Fieldhouse. Um, and so uh, that's not something I don't think that we've considered before, but I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. And um, are there any other questions? I have a question, but do any other members have a question? Um, so, this is a little different than the, so um, obviously the pergola would, would make that space even more attractive. What, what's the, who are, le who's leading the discussions? I, I might not be aware of some of them about the programming of that space. Um, right. Because it's great to have a physical, imp physically improved space, but programming is presumably, at least in, from my opinion, what's going to bring people to utilize that space, um, um, it would be a shame to build a beautiful pergola and have it um, sit empty. Um, so, you know, is there a coordinated town effort around programming, you know, like Friday night beer gardens and other types of, you know, I mean, it just seems like there's so much potential for that space, but it needs, it needs 
a centralized organized force. But anyways, let's open to anybody. <laughs> no, I, I agree 100%. And I think that's a place where if, if folks have ideas or folks want to lend a hand, we'll, we'll take that. And I think it's something we need to work on to make sure that we're maximizing, um, you know, what is a great opportunity for events and, and we're grateful for the chamber and other folks who have stepped up to, to try to program for it. But uh, we certainly need a, as we go forward, a more kind of proactive effort on that front. Agreed. Kathleen. Um, as a, as a neighbor of this park, I can say that the shade would be really useful <laughs> because it'll be some time before the trees that have been planted there will provide anything more useful than providing shade for the rats. Um, so it would be a great idea. Um, one of the things that we had talked about when we were on the planning board and looking at um, sort of commenting on the 40B projects and other projects in East Milton was going to the funding was sort of putting in asks to developers doing projects in that area to support those kinds of improvements that would be available to the new residents when and should they ever arrive. And so that would be some idea that I would think of in terms of is terms of the fundraising for it would be to reaching out to developers to you know, contribute to that because their residents are going to be using it. Yep. Thank you. All right. Um, all right. Let's just roll right into the next uh, project, the, um, the basketball court improvements um, at uh, the COA. Um, so I think, Nick, you're, you're up again. Sure. I'm, I'm not sure who's leading this, but no, I appreciate it. So uh, there'll be a few of us. So I'll turn this over now to Mariana to, to speak to it. Um, and I can fill in some additional info as we go. Great. Oh, you're muted, Marianne. Can you guys hear me well? I'm in Cape Cod yep. trying to um, speak out from here. Yep, we um, can hear you great. <laughs> So to me, of course, I'm in the neighborhood, so I walk by and drive by it every day. And I believe that it's almost like an obvious uh, investment for the town because we're getting a new fire station, state-of-the-art fire, fire station, and it would be that smart not to do something about the basketball uh, area. It has great potential because aside from the, the court, there is a nice green area that has never been used. And I believe it would be, aside from even the seniors and families with young children's space to hang out, to exercise. Already the seniors have classes in the morning on the basketball court and to me uh when i was talking to mike about the idea it didn't seem to be a huge investment so i think that's another huge benefit because the town wouldn't have to spend so much to make that area very attractive i also think uh we're trying to help our kids our adolescents our high schoolers to have more space in town for them to hang out open spaces, right? We're trying to uh, fight with the problem that we have with the woods, and that would be a very good area for people because they already, they already come there like, to play basketball in the evening. Uh, the hoops are old. The, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to keep that after we have 
the beautiful new fire station. So to me, that was an easy one. And of course, um, I was uh, assuming that wouldn't be such a good deal to build uh, the park. And apparently we have a very good uh, quote. And I think it's it should be doable. So I'm here representing <laughs> my neighborhood, but I think it will benefit the entire town. It will be another place for our communities to get together and for us to showcase uh, the diversity that we have in our town. Great, thank you. Thank you. And um, so I'll, I'll just share a couple of quick pictures of folks. Um, so we're talking what we're talking about here. And I mean, I think it's been labeled as the town center basketball court. I think that's a good way to put it. So it's right at the corner of Walnut and Clap. Um, this is an older satellite picture. So you can see where um, all this area is disturbed now. You can see where the um, new town hall parking lot was under construction. Um, just as an example of um, the age of the structures, uh, these are the basketball hoops and nets, and just as an, an, another illustration of um, kind of the lack of attention that this area has received in recent years um, that we are trying to correct um, by seeking some money to redo the court, redo the hoops, and uh, do some landscaping improvements. And I'll, I'll add that um, the Department of Public Works is currently engaging um, our, our transportation engineer beta group to um, start working on Clap Street in terms of ahead of a repaving project on CLAP. So we would be able to um, have some synergies with that project as they uh, redo CLAP, fix, do some side work projects and side work work um, along along that area. So um, that's that's the project that's in front of you and we're happy to take any questions. So first question I have is, uh, is so the, there's a quite a bit of slope from the basketball court to CLAP Street, um, right? If, if you're like me and you, miss a three-pointer from the corner you're gonna the ball is gonna go into clap street you know um is there any would the redesign plans address that either with fencing or with with resloping or that resloping presumably is a bigger job but um but is i mean it's i've i've watched you know people play there and the ball runs well away from the court easily often <laughs> Yeah, no, agreed. I think, uh, as you can see, just from the pitches alone, um, that is an obviously issue. I, I've spoken to DPW about um, that that issue and whether it's you know whether we it's some sort of a berm that goes along with the the clap project or whether it's um, some other options that would be in what we're considering um, and would want to tease that out before we come back if if deemed eligible um, as we go through the process here with a little bit more. Um, definition to that piece of it. Okay. Other questions by members? Cheryl. Uh, yes. How did you arrive at the budget of 75,000 in the request? All right. That's we, um, so the parks department is redoing the courts over at Andrews. And um, so based on the work that they're doing in the budgets and the pricing that they got back. This was just kind of in line with trying to match that out to the, the scope of work here. So it's not a perfect estimate, but that is um, the basis that we were starting from and would certainly try to arrive at a, um, a solid figure as we move forward here. 
And then who's responsible for maintaining, which department's responsible for maintaining this um, green space? So it's the, all this property is select board property, excuse me. And um, it's, it's mowed um, by parks, but um, that's about the extent of it. So in terms of maintenance, I, I don't think we can say anybody really runs with in terms of maintenance, in terms of mowing, that's parks. And I'm just going to make a comment to, um, for um, other members, you know, the master plan implementation committee, which I chair um, has looked at um, town center from a sort of a larger planning perspective and um, is probably going to pick it up again uh, in the near future. <clears throat> and one of the things that we've talked about is the activation of that park and the use of that park. And um, so I actually took a stroll up that way today and was taking a look at the juxtaposition of the construction project, which is really um, encroached further into the green space than I thought uh, when the fire station building committee first came to the planning board and to the master plan committee uh, with their plans. And so it would be nice to get clarification on what they will be doing as part of their project to restore the green space uh, because the uh, the area, which is all staging now and construction parking and so forth, uh, obviously won't be part of the fire station project in the future. So it, it might be worthwhile looking at the, um, the larger park itself, you know, in conjunction with the basketball. And maybe it's done in, uh, in two phases, you know, so that the basketball is the first phase of a two-phase kind of look at it. Um, and maybe there's some assistance that the MPIC can have in that as well as we do our planning there. So I just wanted to throw that out for folks. Thank you, Cheryl. That's a good idea. Um, Jenny? Yeah, I was curious about the use of it. Uh, is anybody monitoring now the use of the court? And um, is anyone thinking about multiple uses of the court uh, beyond basketball and that space? Mike, if you can feel free to jump in. Yeah, I mean, I, I can just tell you, uh, I mean, uh, beyond the, 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 uh, the young people or whomever else who plays basketball, they're generally in the evenings from what I've observed. But I've also observed in the mornings that the COA has some kind of classes over there. I don't know if they're yoga. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. But, but you'll see about, you know, 25 to 30 seniors lined up on that court doing some kind of exercise on certain mornings. So, so, you know, you know, just from my observation, you, you have, you have kind of, as Marianne said, you kind of a diversity of, of, of use between um, the young people and, and seniors. I'll just chime in a little bit too. When we did this planning work a couple of years ago, um, we did a workshop with the youth. So we had participants from Pierce and from the high school, and they spoke about um, how it, it would be nice to have a place to gather. So like uh, Mariana had said, um, and so sort of engaging them in this sort of a phase two process, you know, what this space could be for them, um, or even in regards to the basketball court, I think would, would definitely be uh, beneficial. Are there any lights there now? No, no. Nor plans for any lights? Not, not this project or what didn't propose lights, I don't think. But. Right. right. Not at this time. 
All right. Tom, let me just add, I, uh, I'm very familiar with these courts. It's, it's, it's my neighborhood. It's, it's long, long overdue. Um, it, it is one of those hidden little gems of town that has been long neglected. Right. Um, and it would be nice from, I, I know it, it is town land, but if those courts were fixed up, it does give the park and rec uh, another option to do um, all sorts of activities. So that's all. Great. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Ted. All right. Um, thank you, um, everyone, um, for, for that presentation. Um, and I think the next thing is the Brook Walk um, study. So uh, Jeff Stone is up. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to present on the Milton Brook Walk, which is a concept that I first presented during the master planning process about nine or 10 years ago. And uh, I made a presentation board for one of the meetings at Fuller Village uh, to uh, propose ideas and get people talking more about the process. And I'm going to... Uh, can you enable uh, screen sharing for me? I think I think it should be enabled. It says um, host disabled participant screen sharing. Oh, okay. Um, I just oh, there it is. Now. Okay, I think it's yeah. ready now. Still, let's see. Um, which here we go. Uh, can you see that screen now? No. No. Okay. <laughs> How do we do this? Uh, oh, probably here. Let me know if you see anything. Now we do. Okay. But I want to, it's not in the middle, is it? Right, correct. Now it is, right? Is it full size now? No? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but um, basically, this is a concept. I think the committee has probably seen this. Is that correct, Tom? Yes. Okay. Everybody has has uh, has, yeah, has okay. all applications in in front of them. Yep. Right. So this would knit together um, the the water bodies of Milton, Pine Tree Brook, Post Pond, Turner's Pond, to the Neponset River, with a contiguous almost contiguous uh, trail with an identity that is an educational and recreational path. Right now, people already uh, walk along uh, around Pope's Pond, and they'll be walking all the way around Pope's Pond pretty soon when the new footbridge is put in. Turner's Pond, and also the Pine Tree Brook neighborhood along the brook between Blue Hills Parkway and Thatcher Street. People walk along there. But it's not an identified path anywhere. And it could be extended uh, pretty contiguously all the way to the Neponset River at Milton Village at uh, Central Ave, Elliott Street, which is what this proposes to do. So this proposal is for a feasibility study, which I had a firm called uh, VHB, Vanas, Hangen, and Bruslin. It's a national company that does this work. And they, are, uh, they have a Watertown office. And uh, they had senior landscape design planners and uh, activity planners uh, work on this $30,000 request for a feasibility study. Um, so the benefits of this are uh, here 
six major benefits, uh, which are many of them are consistent with the master planning goals of open space and healthy recreation. Uh, also, it cuts through different parts of town. Let me show a map. Uh, hopefully I can get the map up easily. Um, I know you want to see a map, right? So there's a map. Can you see it? Is the map showing? Uh, yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. So we'd start here, and there's parking at Eulen Rink over here. So that's where parking would exist. And if if needed, go by uh, either side of Pope's Pond once you can travel all the way around it, walk all the way around, crossing Blue Hills Parkway, uh, and then on that, that part of the Pine Tree Brook neighborhood uh, cross Thatcher. This is the only part right here, actually from Brook Road to Central Ave, where the brook is in like a duct. It's in behind people's houses, and there's no room for walking, I, I believe. But then it would resume walkability around Turner's Pond, Glover, um, Glover School, and now, uh, as of the last few years, this has become Conservation Commission land along Herrick Drive uh, to School Street, which reverted to the town. It's become conserved land, which I'm, you know, have a lot of uh, optimism that the Conservation Commission and the town would allow a path to be constructed there, perhaps a boardwalk as needed. The question mark, which the um, consultants would help us determine, is once you cross School Street, which is right here. It kind of is in the back of people's backyards, way, way down to the brook uh, when you get to Mackey's Barbershop at Elliott Street. I walked that stretch once some years ago. I don't know what the, you know, the ramifications and the limitations of that might be, but that's something to be determined in a feasibility study. That's an important part of walking alongside the brook to the Neponset. It's three miles long, approximately, give or take. Uh, identifying it with signage would give an incentive. It would be an asset for the town, an amenity. We'd, uh, a working name is the Milton Brook Walk. Uh, it would be an incentive for people to walk. You could have mileage markers, you know, every quarter or half mile, as well as uh, signs identifying the seasonal flora and fauna, which could be a wonderful project for the four schools, kids and for kids and their teachers in the four schools that it passes by. Three public schools plus Milton Academy. So uh, you look up, you know, this tree is blooming at this time of the year or these animals or these insects or these shrubs, etc. So uh, it has multiple benefits going back to the uh, benefits that I mentioned uh, as far as um, well, I want to show you a couple of things. Jeff, I, we're at we're at six or seven minutes now, and I want to leave some time for questions. Oh my so goodness! Okay, I don't okay. want to yeah. cut you off, but I want to cut you off. Um, okay, um, just so we, I, I anticipate maybe there are a couple of questions at least. So um, absolutely, sorry. Yeah, you could stop screen sharing so we could um, go oh. back to normal, and then um, right. let's see if I can stop screen sharing here. So, um, um, are there questions from from the committee? There we go. Jeff, one question I had is um, Wellesley, you in some of the materials you shared, Wellesley 
uh, has a series of brook walks. I don't know what they're exactly called, but um, mm -hmm. have you talked to the folks over there or you have you walked those brooks? Or I mean, it, it seems like this could be the start of something like what Wellesley has developed, which is a pretty extensive network. Yeah. Well, Wellesley, I just checked on that again. Wellesley has in total over 40 miles of trails, wow. 20 something like 26 miles, which are, are signed or identified. Those trails go everywhere across Wellesley. Uh, Lexington has a similarly a very large network of trails. Uh, and both these towns are not only alongside bodies of water. They're not uh, it's just by brooks. Uh, so ours would, you know, specifically follow the Pine Tree Brook, which happens to run through our town. Okay. Kathleen and then Jenny. My just question, I assume that the one of the questions that BHB will be looking at is the ownership of the properties that you would propose to include in these trails. Yes. Um, as I assume that most legal descriptions are going to run to the, if it's private property, are going to run to the brook as a description. And so there really wouldn't be a place for a trail at that particular juncture. But I suppose well, that BHB will be looking at that. Somebody once described exactly. to me that there's a right of way along the brook, but there may there may be. That's, that's may something be. they have, you know, in their proposal, which I think you've seen. They've outlined, you know, pretty much all the due diligence and the questions like you're mentioning, Kathleen, that they would have to look at. They do this work in other communities. They do this yeah. very kind of work. I've worked with them a lot in the last, okay. you know, forty years. Thank so, uh, thank you. Jenny? Well, I, I, um, I think this is a great idea. And the other thing that I would encourage you to think about in terms of the signage is not just about the flora and fauna, but about the history and particularly um, culture and indigenous uh, ownership and, um, and settlements. So I love that uh, idea. Um, just uh, putting, putting that seed in. Fantastic idea. Thank you. And Pete, you mentioned naming opportunities. Wow. You know, I, I wrote that down when you mentioned it. Uh, it'd be great for, you know, whoever in town and businesses or whoever want to take this quarter mile. You know, we love it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. Um, thank you, uh, Jeff. This is really um, uh, creative and, um, um, you know, we appreciate you you coming. coming thank you very much. So. All right, um, moving along, we're doing well here. Uh, Blue Hills Observatory Fence Repair. Um, I'm not sure, let's see, I'm not sure. Thank you, Barbara, sorry for raising uh, your hand. Hi, uh, I have a little slideshow I'd like to share. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna see if I can uh, run that. Um, my name is Barbara Farina and I am a architectural project manager uh, with DCR and we have partnered with uh, Charlie, are you there? Uh, Blue Hills Observatory uh, Science Center. Charlie was on the call. I am right here. Um, uh, executive um, Director, if I'm not mistaken. I am right here. Um, uh, we're we're very pleased to be able to share this project with you. It's it's exciting what's been happening up here. Um, 
Oops, let me see if I can go down one. Here we go. Um, just some quick background, National Historic Landmark built in 1885 uh, as a weather observation post. There were subsequent additions, 1889, um, 1902, with a Gustavino vault system um, for an attempt to fireproof their library. 1905 is when the, the uh, surrounding concrete wall and that wonderful wrought iron fence were built. Uh, it was quite popular over 100 years ago, as it is today, and there was a, a need to protect the instrumentation and other things within. Um, there was a tower replacement in 1908. The, uh, the observatory holds the record for the oldest continuously maintained and operated weather observatory in North America. Um, NOAA uh, has operated uh, a weather station here for many, many decades. Um, and in 1998, uh, 1998, our partners, uh, the Blue Hill Observatory and Science Center, opened an educational climate and earth science center up top. Um, they offer classes and camps and tours for the public and all kinds of other educational programming. Um, it remains, you know, well over 100 years later, a prime destination for hikers. Um, it's one of the highest peaks uh, near the coast um, in this, this area. And from the top, you can see uh, 360 degrees around. We're fortunate to have these incredible historic photos. This is from 1905 when they were starting to construct the surrounding concrete and, and wrought iron enclosure. When they tore the um, original tower, stone tower down and rebuilt it in 1908, you can see this wonderful fence was uh, witness to that. Um, it, it appears in all of these photos. Um, it's currently pitted and rusted. It's, um, it's, it's held up remarkably well considering it did undergo a restoration, uh, some work maybe 30 so, or so years ago. Some of the sections are buried. There is missing paint. It provides a really important security perimeter for the observatory. We continue, they continue to see uh, people climb over or attempt to climb over um, to get in. When the gate is open, people just walk in and, and walk in the building. Um, and importantly, it's, it's really the gateway to the observatory that all the visitors pass through. Um, the, the fact that it's open and you can see through it to the front door and most of it, um, it it's really a wonderful element here. <clears throat> we propose to remove, uh, it's about 95 linear feet and put up a temporary fence, um, remove it off site and remove the rust, do some repairs, some areas are almost rusted through and refinish it and reinstall and adjust the grade. Um, we're estimating the cost at about $50,000. We, we will have to take it down and remove it off site and we will have to adjust the grading. Um, this is, I'm gonna skip this in the interest of time. Some of the, the work that has recently occurred up there. Uh, again, I'm gonna skip these. These are some of the, the other, <laughs> serious uh, issues that we've just recently dealt with um, to make sure this building lasts well more than um, another hundred years. Um, this is some of the work that was recently done, a new a temporary tower to relocate the instrumentation off the tower so that we could remove the top of it um, and then rebuild it exactly to match. That was uh, eight submittals to the Mass Historic Commission. Um, 
This is an a, a example of what it looked like after we removed the plaster uh, that was covering a lot of these structural cracks and rotted wood. And this is what it looks like today with the uh, weather observer back in their perch. Um, uh, these are just some other uh, uh, photos of the fence. You can see the pitting that's happened. Uh, it's about 80 inches high. It, it's a wonderfully ornate um, uh, fence and these uh, decorative spear tops really do serve their purpose. Um, this is the gate closed, which really is a signal to the public that it's, you know, we're not open right now. Um, when the gates are open, it is a really welcoming um, effect. Um, and uh, I included this photo. This is the picture, a picture taken when the top, the crenellated top, as you can see below here, was removed. We uh, encased the whole building at different times. The walls were rebuilt, the stone walls, as well as the concrete tower. Um, it's an incredible gem. It's highly visible. It's a landmark, and it it's, continues to be a, a destination. We also improved the universal access around the building and in the building, as well as recently some upgrades to comply with building, plumbing, and electrical codes. Um, and some energy efficiency improvements. But this last piece uh, was could not be fit into the budget, which ran over considerably. And it's an element that we think would really just be wonderful to have um, preserved and, and refinished for the next 100 or so years. Um, we thank you for your consideration. Great. Thank you, Barbara. Um, are there questions from committee members? Pete, Pete, you're unmuted. Uh, Barbara, it's nice to see you after all these years, and I continue to see your good work. Um, I think the work that has been done recently up there is amazing, and um, you know, I, I, I think it's a tribute to the Blue Hills. Um, you mentioned a budget of you thought it was going to cost fifty thousand dollars. Your request was twenty five thousand. Do you have another funding source? Um, no, we don't. Um, when I I didn't find out about this um, uh, your program until just uh, it was less than a week beforehand, and quite honestly, we were scrambling to kind of uh, uh, put that together and get some numbers. Um, we we I, you know we did take a, a stab at it, but when we realized that you know it can't be repaired on site, it has to be removed. Sections of it, so we need temporary fencing. Sections of it have become buried over time, and we need to dig those out and then adjust the grading um, when we do um, replace it. Um, and and it it does need repair work and rust removal. And then we'd like to put, uh, you know, a, a really good, probably an epoxy type coating that mm -hmm. is not black, but similar to a wrought iron to make sure that it, you know, it lasts for quite a while longer. Um, just one other thing I'd like to say is um, Arthur Roach, Roach was a um, Milton resident and his family is a we're a very prominent family in town. So uh, yep. honoring his legacy is terrific. Thank you. Barbara, I, I think I have this right, but the, you know, all the historic preservation projects have to comply with Secretary of the Interior's 
historic preservation codes? Is, is that something for the fence? I don't know exactly what that would mean, uh, but um, yeah. Yes, we, we uh, as I said, when we did the, the renovation of this building, we went to Mass Historic Commission with eight um, project notification forms, whether it was, can we remove the top and rebuild it to match? Or is it okay if we use this material to replace a door that's 40 years old? Um, they, we have a zero kind of limit for notifying them of work up there or on any of our projects actually. And this, this historic landmark of course is the highest threshold. Yeah. Um, and Kathleen? Um, who would the funds be going to? Um, you know, like who owns the building or who owns the fence? Um, so uh, DCR owns the property, but uh, the Blue Hills Observatory Science Center is our partner. They've been up there for uh, probably close to, what is it? Is it 30 years, Charlie? Well, um, 25 years. 25. They, um, they manage the property. They run all their program pro programming out of there. They take care of the building, you know, all the day-to-day -day uh -huh. that stuff. Um, we would be looking to them to... Um, we would assist and support them, but we'd be, we'd be asking them to kind of um, go out and contract with um, whoever it is we work with. Um, we do have some people that did do some handrails and made changes that were recently required. So we have some good information about who we would probably seek to, to use. Well, as I said, I'm just sort of thinking that, you know, we, we do these uh, grant agreements between the recipients and the, uh, and, and, and the town um, for these kinds of funds. And so my question was kind of like, well, is DCR gonna sign that? Or is you know, Blue Hills Observatory have, a, have an interest that they could sign instead? That was just kind of my question. We would be willing to do that, yes. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you, um, Barbara and Char Charlie, is it? Um, and um, uh, I appreciate it. And uh, I think, We'll move on to the next project, uh, which is the water station at Andrews Park, um, which is Steve. No, it's I'm obviously not the lovely Suzanne Lombardi, but her lesser half, Andy Tomato. Um, I'm going to present this proposal on behalf of uh, the East Milton Neighborhood Association, which I'm a board member. Um, so. I want to uh, propose that we put a water filling station at Andrews Park. And um, Andrews Park is a very used park. It may even be the most used park in town. I, I don't know. We can ask Ted Carroll that question. But it's certainly used. And really, I don't think the town's done much in the park in the 30 years I lived here. And as a matter of fact, there used to be a drinking fountain in the location I'm proposing to put this water filling station, but that's been gone for a while, even pre-COVID, maybe even five years before pre-COVID. But to that point, there is plumbing there. So that may uh, keep, keep the cost of this project down. Um, yeah. So I have slides. If everybody's sharing screens, I'd like to do it. If I sure. can, if I can't, we'll go old school. I think um, we can enable that for you, um, okay. Julia. Okay. Am I there? I think you might be, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not the one that can 
enable it. So I don't think I can, at least. I think Julia asked to do that. Or somebody from the town, I'm not sure. Okay, let me know, because I'm looking at my screen. So you don't see a green button that says share screen at the bottom? See, let's go back to where I hit it, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I see it. And then I'm going to hit this and say share. And then open system preferences, security, privacy. Yeah. All right. So let's get it. <laughs> we, do, we do have your presentation. So we, we've seen we've seen those. So we can we can manage without the slides if you um, walk us through it. Yeah. yeah. I can talk you. I can I can share my screen. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. So there's there's something called a summary. Start with that. So basically, while this is getting going, I'll I'll just give you okay. Here we go. So they're they're really um, you know obviously a bunch of functions for this that I thought were important. One is obviously to reduce the consumption of disposable water bottles, which uh, you know I walk my dog every day down Andrews and during baseball season, it's not unusual to pick up over ten half you know drunk uh, water bottles or Gatorade bottles or whatever. So I think it, it, it would help that. Uh, certainly reduce the environmental impact of, you know, plastic use bottles, you know, to reduce, reuse. Um, and it would keep Andrews Park cleaner. Um, make it easier, encourage people uh, to drink more water since it's there, it's free, it's easy. Then the sugary sort of Gatorade, baloney drinks that kids think uh, make them run faster, jump higher, but in actuality, don't do any of that, but dehydrating. Um, it could be a pilot program, really, if the concept worked to move on to other parks. And um, I think it, it would be interesting to see. Now, the two, two sort of, if you're looking at my little uh, summary there, you'll see there's some from Aquafil and some from LK. Uh, LK, the latter uh, are just, you know, structures that are solid tubular water fountains, but a refill, either they have a refillable bottle filler, they'll have maybe a drinking fountain and a dog bone. You know, that that's the ultimate, you know, all three of them. Um, and all three of them that I've suggested here, you could see are all, uh, ADA compatible to some level. Some of them, uh, only one part might be. But the Aquafil one is, and if we'll get a picture of this um, up later, the Aquafil stations have these Lextan panels on, which are information. And they're really sort of interesting. I first saw them in Florida and they're in, uh, they're used quite a bit in Cape Cod now. They have a lot of them uh, up and running. And the interesting part about that panel is it can be monetized, uh, you know, or it can be used information. We, it, it's fairly inexpensive to get, uh, you know, a printer to, to put up a, a, sh a sheet of plastic over it to change the information. If we were having an event, you know, maybe at the Manning Park or 
anything or if we could get a sponsor, you know, and they pay X amount for the summer usage and that could fund future uh, water filling stations at the other parks. Um, so that's it's sort of an interesting uh, concept. Um, and, you know, I if we could just move on to um, look at those aquafills or look at either one of those. Right. So there's there's one of the aquafills. Um, and you can see this one just has informational stuff about filtered water, why you would use it. And this one does not have um, a drinking fountain on it or a dog bowl. This is sort of the bare bones model. Um, it just has two, two um, you know, container fillers on either side. But some of them and the ones I, I propose, really the ones I'd like to see, uh, have both a drinking fountain and a dog bowl. And if anybody's been down Andrews Park, you know that it's, you know, there's a pretty big dog community down there, as well as, uh, you know, many sporting activities. There's, uh, and as, you know, Ted Carroll said, they're redoing the basketball park. It's really used a lot. Uh, the tennis courts are there, and I think they're getting a little update too. So, you know, just want to keep kids and people hydrated, you know, I just, and, and reduce the, the use of those, you know, plastic bottles litter that park continuously. So it's, it's simple, <laughs> you know, there's a, it, there's, there's a, you know, it's not really a complicated request. It's just whether or not you guys have the money for, uh, you know, such an awesome idea. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, Cheryl, let's open up the questions. Cheryl, you're up. You can yeah, stop. Thanks, uh, Tom. And thanks, um, Andy. It's um, a couple of questions about <laughs> um, maintenance and while the water to the user would be free, there would be a cost to the town, I assume, for the supply of the water. Um, you know, we yeah, all. No doubt, uh, no doubt you're going to have to pay people to drink their water. Yeah. yeah. So just a question of how much it might cost the town to supply the water um, if, if it were you know, some other kind of customer who's supplying the water, if, if you had an estimate. And and then the other is just, um, if, if you know um, if there's any maintenance or what kind of maintenance might sure. be required and who well, would be responsible for maintaining it. Yeah, sure. Uh, these are very simple machines. They're just piped, you know, it's a drinking fountain basically. Um, the, as far as the, you know, the water goes, um, you know, I don't know what that would cost. I don't know what it costs the schools to have a drinking fountain. You know, there's no sewer cost, um, but, you know, we can ask the DPW what they think that would be. Uh, and maintenance, it does have a filter, although from the man, just the, the, um, the aquifer, the one that has the panels has a filter option. Now, from what I understand, um, we, we can do a test and see if the filters are actually necessary. The other LK products that are also on my sheets that I didn't show you um, do not uh, have a filter. So uh, the filters are about $100, $110 delivered, and they are changed um, once a year. Um, so it's not a huge cost if we did need a filter. Uh, and maintenance... You know, it, it, the materials are uh, stainless steel, so there's really no maintenance other than, you know, 
maybe pulling the gum out of the drinking fountain like you would at any other drinking fountain, you know? So it really maintenance free. Honestly, there's, uh, you know, from what I understand and from the people I talk to down at Cape Cod, they don't have a problem with either of them. So, um, and, th- and they actually monetize them. So, uh, uh, you know, I just think it's worth doing down there, you know. What, um, what towns on Cape have? have well, that? yeah, they're in, uh, I think they're in Barnstable and, uh, and along the beach in, he's, I, I don't know. I was just emailing him. I, I, I did get confused there. I don't, I don't know exactly what towns there are, but I can get that information. Okay. If you okay. want to take a peek at them, but, um, yeah. Okay. So Jenny- as far as, as far as the installation. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a picture of one with a drinking fountain and you can't see the dog bowl, but, um, you know, as far as installation goes, you probably need a pad poured by DPW, a concrete pad, and maybe a foot or two around dug deep with some gravel or some rick rack to get the water, the excess water to drain off. Um, so uh, that would be an installation cost that the DBW would have to occur, incur. I'm sorry. Okay. And Jenny, you have a question and then we move well, on. Well, just so, so this would just assume then that the DBW would own this piece of equipment. Yeah. We'll give it to the DBW. Sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't care who owns it. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other part about the monetization is that the East Milton Neighborhood Association would, you know, would would lead that program to find a sponsor if possible, or to find, uh, or, or to just put up, you know, uh, town information. Uh, that that's something a responsibility we agreed to to take on. So there wouldn't be any burden on a town hall to do so. We would take care of that. If you yeah. want. Or if you want to take the money and do it, do it, you know, as long as we get the water. All right, Andy, thank you. Uh, uh, Pete, do uh, you want to squeeze in a question here? And, uh, just quickly, um, Andy, um, have you co- have you talked to the Park Department about this and do you have their support in this uh, proposal? Uh, being this was, you know, a preliminary uh Meaning, I have not moved forward to, with either the DPW or the Park Department, but we can ask Ted right now. We want to put him on a spot. But I think, uh, I think it, it, the fact that there used to be a drinking fountain there, you know, is sort of a you know, let let's just put one back. It's been it was there forever, and uh, I don't know why it was taken down. It wasn't vandalized. It one day it was just shut off, and then they never came back on. So, um, yeah, I don't know, but. With the amount of activity at that park, I, I certainly think this would be an amenity to the entire, you know, well, not the entire town, but everybody who visits it, which is almost the entire town. All right. We're going to move along. Thank you. Andy. Right, thank you so much for considering. Appreciate you coming in and presenting thank this um, and we'll uh, be back in touch. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, so the next project up is uh, baseball improvements at Andrews Park. Wow. Um, I'm not sure who is presenting on that. Is anyone here for the baseball improvements at Andrews? Hmm. Who, who submitted the application? Uh, Steve Novak. Oh, okay. I think that's, yep, Steve Novak. 
He's, right. I think, going to be a little bit late. So if okay. you want to move right. to the next we can one. hold that to the to the end. Um, yeah. And after that is uh, Julie Kramer in the Affordable Housing Trust. Julie. Hi, hi everyone. Thank you, Tom, and and members of the uh, Community Preservation Committee uh, for your time. This evening, I do not have slides, so I apologize <laughs> for oh, that. No. Um, no, don't, don't apologize. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a tough week. Um, so I am here representing the Milton Affordable Housing Trust. We're a small but mighty group um, whose purpose is to aid in the creation and preservation of affordable housing for the benefit of low and moderate income households. Um, we submitted an application, um, as you know, for 33% of the CPA funds um, collected uh, this year, which we estimate to be about $350,000. Um, I, I um, submitted our um, application to uh, sort of um, let folks know what um, what our, our plans are for um this year and to let folks know that, you know, we're, what, what we really are here to do is to, um, you know, intervene in many ways to create affordable housing for our town, um, work, working with uh, developers or um, owners of um, uh, housing to incentivize them to uh, create more affordable housing in their um, in their properties or in their projects, um, as well as work to create affordable housing that is um, singularly affordable. Um, one of the uh, initiatives we're working on currently is the creation of affordable housing at the um, town farm. And we're um, inching ever so closely to um, an RFP that would be issued for um, uh, the development of that site into affordable housing. So um, the trust can really act sort of as the, um, the town's uh, intermediary um, and, and do some of, the, uh, some of the work needed to ensure that this housing is community focused, that it's um, aimed at the appropriate uh, income targets and um, is able to be put on the SHI or the subsidized housing inventory, sorry. Um, so I can answer other questions or talk a little bit more about uh, some of our, our work plan um, items and initiatives. So Julie, um, just start, I start with this question. Um, we got, uh, Two affordable housing applications this this round this year, um, one from the trust and one from um, Winter Valley uh, for the right. Um, and it led to a conversation, as you know, we're a new committee, only in our second year, and um, you know, led to a, a preliminary conversation. We haven't really had a full conversation on this committee, but whether or not um, we should entertain specific affordable housing projects from a third source like that, or whether we should direct them to go to the trust because the trust now has some funds. Um, um, and uh, so do you have an, 
you know, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to this, and I don't know how we as a committee would um, uh, uh, fall down on that issue. But um, but do you have an opinion? Um, I know the trust has the Affordable Housing Trust being a member. We haven't discussed that either. But um, but do you have an opinion? You know, yeah, around what would be um, the better avenue would would that be something the affordable housing trust would entertain as being uh uh to uh, funding other projects like the winter valley project or other other potentially worthy projects yeah i, I you know i um in my professional life um you know my answer would be absolutely that the that this um uh, the milton affordable housing trust should want to be a part of that a part of any piece of affordable housing development in the town. And frankly, when, when I approach a town uh, for my development work, if I know that the funds are with the Affordable Housing Trust, there is a great relief to me as a developer because I know that I'm working directly with a group of individuals who, you know, who do this for, you know, in many cases for a living and who are sort of singly focused on this type of work. It's it, you know, they the, the typically the affordable housing trust just has a, a better focus on and, and asks the right questions and does the correct follow-up and you know leads to um, a much um more meaningful discussion around how these funds are being used. And you know, as a as a trust, you know, we have to um record and um authorize the spending. So it's it's not as though we, you know, we can, you know, we're an easy target to write a blank check. You know, we have to make sure we're um, recognizing where the CPA funds are being spent. Right. Okay. Other questions from other committee members? All right. Um, and I hope next year we have four affordable housing trust applications. Right, right. right. Pete, uh, actually, Pete, sorry, I saw your hand there. Go ahead, Pete. Pete, you're on, you're on mute. Um, Julie, we funded you last year, and I know those funds are just available as of uh, July 1st, so you don't really have funds in hand yet, and there's grant agreements and things like that. But you have the trust had any conversations about any use of CPA funds, you know, for current projects you're working on using some of those funds from last year, or is it part of just accumulating a uh, uh, bigger account so that you can, you know, negotiate with other people? Um, you know, we haven't had direct discussions. I will say, you know, we're working on the RFP for the. Um, you know, for the town farm. And certainly we'd love to be able to sort of set aside some funds for that work. I've also, um, um, you know, we've, we've been um, sort of the, 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 the middleman on some of the, um, on some of the uh, off-site housing that is a result of some of the other developments in town, um, you know, Woodlot Road, and then um, the, uh, the, Oh God, I can't remember the name off of uh, Canton. Um, and so in, in some of that work, I've mentioned to folks um, that, 
you know, they're supposed to deliver, let's say, six units of offsite housing. And I said, well, the CPA, you know, the, the affordable housing trust is now has a, has a nice little balance of funds. And so if, you know, you could add another <laughs> housing unit, you know, instead of delivering two at a time, if you could deliver three, you know, at a time or at least, you know, three more at some point, um, you know, we would love to support that kind of work. So, you know, the discussions have started. I think it's really important when uh, when a developer goes to our, goes to the website, goes to the town's website and sees that the trust has been funded. I think that is very much um, something that leads to discussions and leads to introductions of other ideas of how to, you know, how to create more affordable housing. Cheryl. Um, yes, thanks. You know, um, I've talked with some developers and the delta between the market rate units and the affordable units has just gotten to be so high that I fear that this, even this amount of money that for the last two years is only a handful of units, um, you know, to subsidize a, a developer in that situation. So I'm, I'm actually really interested to understand how the funds can be used to leverage other funds to really see some impact in the numbers because, um, you know, um, since I am representing the planning board here and we only um, have been able to get 10 to 12% affordability, which, you know, hardly makes a dent. Um, the, uh, and even the 40Bs at 20%, you know, we get a lot, a lot, a lot of units to get a market rate units to get the 20% affordable. I'd love to see how that 100% affordable can be done. And so I'm hoping um, that you can come back and, and at least give us or come back to the planning board or, or the master plan committee and really talk about how it can be done. You know, cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that the funds are becoming available, but uh, it just seems like it could be a, a small drop in the bucket of, of, for the need that's there. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's right. It, you know, it, it, it depends on a number of things. I mean, first and foremost, it depends on if they're for sale units or rental units, right? There's a lot more subsidies available for rental production. Um, and the, you know, the state allocating agency um, sees any CPA funds, not just as an indicator to help close that gap between, you know, what it costs to build and, 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 the, and the subsidies needed, but it's also a very much a strong signal that the town is behind and supportive of that kind of work. Um, you know, put your money where your mouth is sort of thing. But, um, you know, th there is increasingly um, large gap between an affordable unit and a market rate unit, especially on the for sale side where the subsidies are limited. There's one thing um, I would say, too, is I know that Winter Valley, I believe in their application, was talking about, um, you know, a lot of the affordable units are 80% area median income, whereas theirs are dropping, you know, potentially down to 50 or even 30. And that's and that might be something to think about, too, not just total number of units, but how affordable are those units? Yeah, absolutely. That's in our um, in our work plan as well. If we can buy in some deeper affordability 
you know, then then we are touching folks who have no chance of living here. Right. Because they can't even afford a 60 percent or, you know, 80 percent AMI rent. All right. Um, thank you, Julie. Um, very much appreciate it. And um, um, I think we're um, we're through our applicants. We put on the uh, comments from additional applicants. I don't uh, from from whether or not there are other folks that have not appeared before us or previously appeared before us. I don't think there is anybody in the room that meets that category, but I will put that out there. If you're a applicant and you have additional things to add, <laughs> now's the time. All right, hearing none. Um, um, I don't see that anybody joined from Andrews Park Baseball. Am I wrong? No, I don't see. So, um, I guess we we just move along here uh, on the agenda. Um, so the last two things I had Julie Julia put on the agenda were the discussion of grant agreements. Um, and um, I don't know if Kathleen has any updates um, of where we are or 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 not. But um, but this has been a standing item in case we have any updates. <laughs> Um, well, actually, I don't have any updates because actually I, I drafted them all, sent them all in. I wasn't on the committee <coughs> and then I got on the committee. So I don't know. I don't know what's happening with any of them <coughs> because then I went sailing with Scandinavians. So okay. I have no idea what's going on with these things. So I don't uh, know, even know who to check with to see where they all are. I yeah. thought that. There would be comments from some of you folks about them, but perhaps there haven't been. So um, I see a couple of hands raised, but Cheryl and then Pete. Yeah, I'm going from memory now, Kathleen. Um, I think two meetings ago or maybe three. Um, I mentioned that when I read the affordable housing one, that the language um, seemed to be specific to ownership and not uh, I didn't see so any kind of reference to rental. So, um, but I'd have to go back and look at those words to to pick up exactly what. Um, I'll but, look at the okay. Okay, and then on the um, I think it was on the historic preservation. I was looking at the 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 old lockup station at Milton Landing, and then the yep. south. I I don't think the um, the they were. Uh, my recollection is I raised the question of whether the Secretary of the Interior Standards was a constant in all historic preservation agreements um, and, or awardees, and, and we should be consistent about that. I, I think that was my comment for that one. The Forbes Museum is already subject to a historic preservation restriction, all of that property, with the, um, Secretary, with the uh, Mass Historic Commission. Um, so they are bound by those um, Secretary of the Interior um, requirements already, um, but I can throw that in. And I did think I did. I'm not quite sure the um, the lockup isn't. Um, uh, you know, there's no historic district there yet. Um, I know there's been chat about it. Um, I don't think the lockup is listed. It's on a local inventory of our local historic commission, but not. I don't think the state inventory. Um, and so, I would like 
Sorry, go ahead, Kathy. So, so we can certainly, you know, put that put put that in um, that they should be following the secretary. I thought it had, but we can certainly put that in. Yeah, because the, um, I think there was a, a report that was done a few years ago that outlined um, the kind of repointing and other repair work that used mortar and other materials that wasn't. Uh, cons- um, oh, I'm sure that all the work that's been done on that building <laughs> in the last hundred years hasn't complied with anything. Other right. than and and it can be damaging, you know, yeah. if you use the wrong mortar or if you use the wrong materials, it actually can damage the historic fabric. And so we, that's the kind of thing that we wouldn't want to have happen. And so following the Secretary of the Interior standards gives us our sort of, not really guarantee, but better, you know, guarantee that it'll be done properly without having to go through the oversight, right? Well, I think it'd be a situation where if they do a repair, they do certain repairs the way they've been doing them in the past, it'll never get listed. It, you know, you've destroyed whatever historic fabric is there by, you know, using whatever you bought at, you know, Home Depot. Um, so um, I don't know. I, we can certainly talk to the town and the committee that's been dealing with that. But we can certainly add it in. That's part of the discussion with them. You know, we we need to be um, under the act using our historic preservation funds for certain purposes. And so we can't be supporting something that defeats that. So um, it actually came up in the Eustace estate application because the mortar. Right. They they showed us pictures of different types of mortar that were used and guessing that some of those weren't compliant. Um, So. okay, so I guess. Is there a larger question there, um, Cheryl, of, of should we just make yeah. it? Yeah, that was a larger question for me, yeah. which is to make okay. it a consistent uh, okay. uh, requirement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we just put that in all the historic preservation projects? Right. Whether or not it's redundant or not, you know, I think that would, that'd be good. Okay. 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 Pete. And then Joe. Pete, mute. you're on mute. The lockup is on the state historic preservation list, um, so it does apply. We definitely told them at the time that we awarded them a grant, their first grant, um, that they would have to comply with that. So I don't know if they've taken any actions to date on, you know, furthering the design or our compliance with the secretary's standards. Um, one thing, uh, Kathleen, you indicated well. Well, first of all, I know Jenny and I submitted um, comments to you. I don't know if those were incorporated. Yes, they were in the last drafts. Okay, great. Um, but I guess since you're on the committee now and not serving as our legal consultant, no one that we know of is picking up to move those grant agreements along. Is that correct? Right. Well, I mean, I I didn't do anything more because I was waiting for a meeting of this committee to say, yes, go forward with them or not. I mean, I didn't know whether anybody even liked them. So, you know, so, um, so, you know, I, I didn't I didn't do anything more. Um, and then, you know, I went sailing. So. Um, um, uh, so anyway, I'd be happy to this know, is that meeting. Take them up and, yeah. you know, and sort of move them along. Um, can, can you, that would be great. Can so, you do that without there being any conflict, Kathleen? 
I'm not um, at this point, I'm not charging you for anything. I'm doing this. I've, I've not, that would be a conflict of interest to do two jobs. And so I'm doing this as a member of the committee for nothing. Okay. Well, that's a little much, but thank you very much. And while I have the floor, um, does, I have a question about funds being returned. When projects aren't completed, in a lot of cases, it seems to go back to the park department or something of that nature. Should those funds not come back to the committee? Because they're going to go into the, I'll use the park department as an example, into their general funds and then get used for what purposes? Oh, no, no, no. The agreements say that they have to be used for the purposes for which they are awarded. Um, right. They don't go into the general, they don't go into the town's general fund. And if the project doesn't, nothing happens with it, it should come back to the committee, come back to the CPC. And, okay. you know, Wendy could talk to this, but, you know, in Plymouth, what would happen is that every once in a while, as they've had CPC for a long time, is that we would go back to town meeting and rescind certain votes. Um, and so those funds then become available for whatever they go back in the pot of CPA accounts. So we would have to track that then in some form or fashion. We should be doing that anyway. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. All right. And Jenny. Well, somewhat related to that um, is what I noticed in all the letters, Kathleen was um, not a specific request for a report of activities or expenditures, but a responsibility of the committee to have, um, or of the recipient to have open access to their records. And it seems to me that we might want something that's a little bit more concrete from the awardees um, requesting uh, some kind of report back to the committee. And I'm wondering whether that is too onerous or whether that's something that can be consistently requested in these letters? Well, there's a, there's a sort of a problem with a lot, some of it. One is that you can't, if it's a grant to a private or, you know, not municipal entity like Forbes or, you know, wherever other Eustace or something like that is that you can't act, ask for such detailed reports that it then becomes to look like a municipal project and is then subject to public bidding and all the obligations that are uh, attended to any municipal project. So there's a line you have to draw about how involved you're going to be in seeing what people are doing with that, those funds with respect to private entities. With the most of our grants for this past year, of this fiscal year are to the town. And so it's a question of the town talking to the town because the treasurer for the CPC is the treasurer for the town. We don't have a separate entity for that. Um, and but, so- but Isn't it more, Kathleen, a, a we want them to talk to this committee in the town. And like, we want right. to, we want to be able to say at a town meeting presentation in the future that, you know, 80% of the funds have been deployed on the projects and the other 20% are waiting or, you know, whatever. But well, it's a question about how involved you folks want to get in terms of watching all this stuff. I mean, right now it's been a pretty full load just sort of getting through the applications and the grants without even getting started with anything. So, right. You know, you're to me that uh, 
that should be a town, some full-time employee of the town should be helping us facilitate that, right? It, you know, like if we could get well, an annual report from the planning staff or, I, you know, I don't know, um, but it just seems like that's. Well, most of our grants are with Parks and Rec. And so it's a question of whether, you know, Parks and Rec is going to take the time to report to us or the CONCOM. I think those are those are the two um, entities that we're dealing with. And so I guess it's a question of, you know, you know, how involved are, are Parks and Rec? Right. It's one of the, you know, one of the, I think, intriguing things about CPA, right? It, this, this manifests itself on the state <laughs> level and yeah. uh, seeing it on local level. CPA doesn't fit anywhere, right? There's no right. one department that oversees housing and open space and right. recreation and historic preservation. So um, it really needs multiple. Um, uh, so we can certainly, you know, as I said, the general grant agreement allows us to walk in anytime we want and take a look. I guess so. The, if you want to twist that to say they have to submit to us once a year or something like that, a report. Well, let's see what Pete and Cheryl have to say. And yeah, um, I'm working with the treasurer and the um, accounting department to um, get an accounting system set up, not only for our annual funding and the what we get in, but then also line items for each of the grants that we get. So when a grant, you know, when a requisition comes in to pay from the town yeah. grantee, the, the accounting department will note that on the reports that I get. And the plan is that they will give me quarterly reports on all our CPA, both income and outgo. So, you know, we will in that way be able to track how much money was spent okay. in terms of, you know, looking at the actual work being done that's a separate matter, but um, but we will be able to track uh, the, the status of funding on all of them. Oh, nice job, Pete. That's great. Cheryl. Uh, this isn't related to this kind of funding, but the Wolcott Woods project, which the planning board um, issued a special permit for, um, issues quarterly progress reports to the planning board. They're just for informational purposes. And it's useful to keep, you know, it only takes a few minutes to read and it keeps us up to date. And that way, if we do hear from members of the public about something, we're um, at least kind of abreast of the progress of the work mm -hmm. on a multi-year project like that. In this case, I'm thinking, you know, the committees have to re provide a, um, a report for the, for the, um, the, the town report. report, yeah, and it would be useful, I think, as this committee can, you know, we start racking up more years, um, and people begin to, you know, they ask more. Well, what has money been spent on, and you know, has it all been deployed, and have projects stalled out? You know, it would be um, a tracking system for us. Mm -hmm. You know, and and so an annual report makes sense to me, and and, and that way too, it would help new committee members that come on. Um, some continuity across different, um, because especially like some of us who are representing a board that we may not be on, you know, for a long time. So um, I would be one to uh, be in favor of an annual report. It doesn't have to be long, it could be a one pager, but just yeah. a, a status update. Okay. I, I like that, Cheryl. Yeah. Um, That's a good yeah. point. Sure. Okay. All right. Pete. 
I do. Th I believe we submitted a report from this committee to the annual report for this past year. So I just, you know, most committees do and all the departments do. And um, I'm pretty sure that Rob, because I think he and I worked on it together, submitted a report that was in the uh, past year's annual report. So I think that should get to be, you know, a habit. Yeah, no, I think I think the only thing that we're friendly amendment to that is is more a quality right we'll we'll always have a numbers based annual report but i think a quality report is the way i'm seeing it like it, it like this project happened this project's in progress this you know that type of stuff if we can add some um some context to the numbers i think that would be um that would be what i think yeah. uh i beneficial. think beneficial beneficial sure. Thank you. And, and what I think would speak to. So, but yes, I think we would, I think that's a requirement of us to, to contribute to that annual report each year. Jenny. Mute, you're mute. Sorry. Um, Kathleen, maybe it would be useful if you had sort of a one line in the agreement that said um, that the committee requests an annual report simple report, um, maybe the form of which could be supplied by the committee um, to fill out. Oh, I think we just say, we would just have them sub submit a- you know, Submit a, a one-page report so many narrative. Different, a one-page yeah. narrative on the status of the projects and, you know- And funds spent to date. Yeah. And the expenditures, to, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. So and then just have- I'm sorry, Jen, just to that point, if you had the, the gardener, the gardening club, maybe their report would have how many visitors came. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be just sort of a relative, you know, relative narrative. <laughs> yeah. So to some of the concerns of the committee or something like that. And, but you could also put a date on it that would be the date of, you know, one year from the date of this. Uh, signed agreement. Mm -hmm. Well, that might not work. I mean, if you're trying to think about what you would be then folding into a report for the annual report in town meeting, you'd be looking at that as a publication date. Yeah, I don't know the, I don't know what the timing was. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to line up, but yeah. Okay. You could also put it instead of a deadline, you could say um, when the ex uh, expenditures have been completed or something like that. So you know, uh, no, I, I think I think if we just you keep it as simple and short to say, you know, we want to know when you every year it's a yeah. three year grant and we want to know every year what you've spent, how far you've gotten and, you know, what your progress yeah. is. on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me just add that that would. I would ask Julia to sort of track that a little bit. So begin to have some sort of mechanism. Um, I don't know. I dare I say a database or, you know, something that would track where the grants are at, whether they've submitted a report, um, you know, whether the expenditures have been complete, that kind of thing. So we have kind of a running tab because come year three, four, five, you're like, oh my God, you know, where are we with this grant that was three years ago? I have no idea. Yeah. And 
So no. Julie, I don't know if you could take that on. Well, that's sort of a useful, I mean, that's, that's sort of something that, you know, comes up a lot and not just for us, but for, you know, planning boards and conservation commissions or never before you approve subdivisions and you say, Oh, we're going to get a conservation restriction. We're going to get this, we're going to get that. And then you find out 10 years from, you know, later, nobody did any of that. Cause there's no, there's no follow through the planning director left and nobody got hired. And, you know, there's all those things that get dropped. So it might be a useful idea for us to come up with some kind of, you know, project calendar. So the, each project, you know, sort of has a, has a, has a sheet, an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. That's got like the date of the grant agreement, the amount that we've, we've awarded, um, you know, and the sort of progress, you know, progress points we put in to some of those, you know, like this, the Spalding, we want to know that they're going to be spending the money and also going to be making sure that the town knows about that garden and is open to the public. That's a key item for us. And so you would be folding, I think, into some of those, you know, those kinds of other deliverables for each one. So maybe, Julia, um, maybe we can work on that together with, you know, and maybe circulate it initially to Jenny and Pete and myself, and then, and then we can bring it back to this full committee for, for review. Um, at a later meeting. Okay, sounds good. Good. But in the short short one, I would say um, if the grant agreements can get out, and I would authorize, I mean, or at least trust um, you, Tom, and Kathleen to complete the letters as soon as possible to get them out. I'm not yep. sure we all need to see them again. So that's the question. So you got a few comments tonight, right? Um, yeah. From um, and you know, you mentioned you were going to go back and add, add, so do, do, do we want to have a motion now to authorize, I guess, me to work with Kathleen to, to get them out, uh, without a further vote, or do we want them to come back to the committee at some date in the future? Well, I mean, I think we could send them out. They're drafts. There may be some pushback from other the recipients. Right. This is, this could they be haven't a, seen them yet. It would be a no get negotiation. Yeah. So I, I, I guess it's a question of the comfort level of the committee. Is, is do we do we want to vote tonight to authorize that us to get them out there, um, uh, with the friendly amendments that were suggested, you know, to Kathleen. Um, um, this evening. Pete? Um, I make a motion that the committee um, authorize Kathleen and Tom to work together to get the uh, draft uh, grant agreements out to all the grantees from uh, last year's grants and to start the process of the approvals. Right. All right. I'll second that. And there's second a second. That. There was, I, I know. I can't remember whose voice. I can't see whose voice that was. Uh, Joe, Jenny, no. or both. No, that was me. That, was, that Jenny. was me, Jenny. All right, yeah. Jenny. Sorry. Um, all right. So it's uh, a motion, a second. Any discussion? Um, okay. We'll call vote. Um, uh, Pete. Yes. Uh, Ted. Yes. Joe. Yes. Kathleen. Yes. Cheryl. Yes. Jenny. Yes, go for it. All right. And Tom, yes. So unanimous. Okay. Unanimous. Right. Good. All right. And last discussion is a really short discussion. I just put this on there just so we could talk about it. But 
I, I've detected based on the conversations we've had um, that there was at least uh, some interest in site visits to the cemetery. Uh, that was one project there were people expressed an interest. And then it came up again. Um, I forgot what the name of this project is called, but the marsh um, near the Neponset on the Quincy line um, that uh, was presented by um, Arthur Doyle last time. Um, a number of us, or at least a couple of us, uh, expressed some interest in a site visit there um, to, to see that. Um, um, I'd be happy to show you. So, um, so are there any others that I'm missing? Um, are those two of interest? I have already reached out to the cemetery. She was more than willing to accommodate us. And I guess the last question in that series of questions there would be, um, I'm thinking, uh, this is gonna be a, a bear to organize in terms of trying to get a date and time that works for everyone. I don't know if that's possible even, but so we're gonna do our best. But uh, I was thinking at early in the day or end of the day, partly because we're talking about the summer heat here and you know it might be a little cooler at those hours. Um, I know the, the director of the cemetery said she would be willing to do one after hours and even, you know, early evening, you know, late afternoon, early evening hours. Um, so, um, but I'm thinking early day, trying to schedule it either earlier day or end of day. Is that, how does that work generally? Is that, um, should I, should I rethink that? And, and um, I don't really want to do a doodle poll for everybody because I think that will take forever, but, um, but, but whatever. Uh, well, I'm good like, with late afternoons. Late afternoons? Yeah. Yep. Tom, just pick a date and okay. whoever can come can come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, otherwise, I you're right you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm, you know. And, it, I, I, and I, I guess I, it should be before it, next Wednesday, right? No, no. I, I'm not, I don't feel pressured to do that um, because all we're doing next Wednesday is moving them forward. And I think almost every application will get forwarded to a second round, I would think. Um, so I, I think we need to, I mean, I want to do it relatively soon, but, um, but I, I talk. I don't out think of, you have to do it by Wednesday. Yeah, I just, okay. I don't think it's, yeah. it's going to specifically those two projects. I can't imagine us not inviting them to apply for round two, you know? So I don't, right. think, okay. that's, that, that has been my thinking as long as we do it, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, next few weeks, basically. Okay. Just just pick a date and time and okay. tell everybody when it is and who can yeah. make it and we, make it. We obviously have to post it and then um yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um all right. I think we're 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 done. Um we need a motion to adjourn. Motion I'll to adjourn. Motion. Oh, I'll, I I don't know if we can discuss this. Um I'll just say this and not take any discussion because um but um, one of the things we'll have to put on the agenda for next time we meet is at the very top of the agenda is, I believe last year we went with the red light, green, yellow light, red, whatever, <laughs> green light, yellow light. I can't even talk. Um, <clears throat> um, yellow light, red light thing. Um, and so we should just have at the top whether we're going to do that type of exercise uh for all 21 projects um and um, you okay. can't you can't really discuss it but we'll discuss come prepared to discuss that and make a decision <laughs> on that uh at seven o'clock uh next next wednesday 
I think it's, okay. is it seven? Yeah. Julia, is it seven o'clock? Did we not? Um, next week, it... um, no, next, next, the 26th is at three. We went back to the three o'clock. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So three o'clock um, on uh, next Wednesday, the 26th. Tom, I think it's slightly nuanced because it's the red light, green light worked better when we had the money <laughs> to give to give to everybody. In this case, the conversation oh, well, is what yeah. are we going to cut? So it's yeah, no, it's a good point. So I'm, I'm going to defer that discussion so we're not in violation of anything, but we'll defer that discussion to the beginning of the meeting. We'll put that on the agenda. Obviously, we'll have a chance to discuss each project too. So, um, but I, I agree with you. It is a little, little nuanced. Our, yep. our job's a little more difficult <laughs> in, in one, one respect, at least. In another respect, because we have all that experience under our belt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to do a roll call. A, a motion to adjourn. Did we just do this? No, we did I, that. No, that was on the um, that was on the motion to approve. No, we, didn't, we, we just had the motion made, but we didn't vote yet. Yeah. So motion to we voted on the motion to approve Kathleen and I to send out. Right. <laughs> We didn't have a motion to adjourn yet, did we? We did, but we okay. didn't vote on it yet. Okay. And it was seconded? Yes. It was seconded. I'll, right. I'll, I'm in favor. <laughs> Joe, Joe's in favor. Ted? Yes. Pete? Yes. Jenny? Yes. Cheryl? <laughs> yes. All right. Who who seconded it? that motion to adjourn? Jenny, you made the motion to adjourn, right? I think I did, yeah. And I think yes, Joe and Joe seconded, seconded it. Oh, Joe second. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Julia, for catching that. Um, Cheryl, I think I... Yes. Kathleen? Yes. And Tom, yes. We will see you next Wednesday. Thank see you. you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Thank you.